It's one thing to endure a hard trial, but it's another thing to rejoice in the midst of enduring a hard trial. Many have weathered difficult circumstances and come out kicking on the other side of it. They got through it somehow. But fewer have been able to actually rejoice in the midst of the trial. We've seen in Habakkuk, as we've been walking through this book over the last few weeks and as we bring it to a conclusion today, we've seen that Habakkuk was in the midst of a trial. He lived in an unrighteous time when justice was greatly perverted, if you'll recall. And then the judgment that God said he was going to send on them was in the form of the Babylonians. A wicked nation was going to come and bring judgment. So further difficulty was on the way for Habakkuk and those who lived in Judah. They would suffer yet further and be dragged off into exile. And last week we saw how Habakkuk responded in prayer in chapter 3. And how he was calling out for God to be merciful in wrath, remember mercy, to renew his work of salvation. And we saw that he was also in submission, ultimately, to God's plans. Though this was a heavy submission, if you'll remember. And today we come to a passage at the end of the book, the end of Habakkuk's prayer, a song, in which he actually rejoices. So with society on its way down, things falling apart, going to get worse, wickedness rampant, further trial on the way, he rejoices in the Lord in a truly remarkable passage. Some of us here have faced calamity. Some of us have faced great difficulty, overwhelming trials. Whether it's health-related, whether it's inner struggle, whether it's relational difficulties, I mean, whatever it might be, many here have faced very, very dark days, though they might be different from Habakkuk's. Others of us simply haven't lived long enough yet to go through those trials. One pastor I know of says, if you haven't, just wait longer. <laughs> Eventually you bleed. And so maybe, you know, we, we face some pain, but maybe nothing too severe yet by God's grace and mercy. But it is always amazing when somebody can find a way to praise God in the midst of the trial. Without any guarantee of how, what the outcome is going to be. It's truly remarkable. And this is what we're going to look at today. This is what we're going to see today. We're going to look at rejoicing in God when darkness falls. That is, when, when difficult trials come our way, rejoicing in the midst of that. So here, here's the outline of where we're going. We look at rejo rejoice in God when darkness falls. This is what we're called to. This is what Habakkuk models. By acknowledging the trial. Number two, by seeking your joy in God himself, not in the things he gives. And thirdly, by trusting God for the strength to stand. So that's where we're going. So, so number one, rejoice in God when darkness falls, when trials come, by acknowledging the trial. So read with me in Habakkuk 3. We'll, we'll back up to 16. We covered 16 last week, but I want to start reading in verse 16. So again, this is a, 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 a prayer of Habakkuk's 
that is a song. We know that from the, the very end of what we'll read today, the end of 19. Let's read in verse 16. I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. So again, we talked last week. He's acknowledging this. what he's heard from the Lord is heavy. It causes him to tremble in fear and to feel gross inside. He feels rotten within, and yet he's waiting on the Lord. Verse 17, though the fig tree, he goes on, though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no fruit, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. And we acknowledged last week, Habakkuk, as we looked at verse 16, he doesn't pretend it's not painful. He acknowledges the pain. He acknowledges this is difficult, that this is heavy, this news of impending judgment. It causes him to tremble. And then in verse 17, he goes on to list six more calamities that might come his way, that might come their way when the Babylonians invade. And they appear to be listed in order of severity, starting with the least severe. So he starts with no figs growing on the fig trees. Figs were a delicacy. If there were no figs, they would still survive. It wasn't the end of the world in and of itself. But he goes on. Nor, nor fruit on the vine, no olives, no crops, no flocks, flocks destroyed, no herds, no animals. Taken together, all of these things would mean economic disaster. These, are, these Judeans are farmers. They depend on crops. They depend on their livestock, their animals. And so if all of these things were gone and there was nothing there, this would mean economic disaster. And Habakkuk says that though these things happen, yet, yet, I will rejoice in God. So he's expressing the possibility of these things happening. Even if these things happen, I'm still going to praise the Lord. And so again, if these things occurred, it would be very, very bad. It would mean there'd, there'd be no guarantee of food. He might be without food, without livelihood. This would be very bad for all of them in Jerusalem and in the surrounding area. A most basic need for survival, food, would not be guaranteed. So he's acknowledging here and describing what would be a very terrible and awful trial, a very difficult situation. And so he's, he's not hiding from this possibility. He's not hiding from the fact that the Babylonians coming is bad news and could result in grave difficulty. He's entertaining here some of the possibilities. James Montgomery Boyce was a, a pastor and uh, an author. He wrote a commentary on Habakkuk. And he tells a story of an old pastor who talked to a member, a lady in his congregation that was an overly optimistic lady. And he said, this pastor said, now suppose, Jeannie. And so this, this man was getting ready to try to help her see that 
You know, there is a possibility of some, some bad things happening. But as he says, now suppose, Jeannie, she interrupts and says, Now don't you, don't you have anything to do with supposings? I know them all. Suppose I should lose my money. Suppose I should lose my health and all the rest. When those supposings come knocking at your heart, you just slam the door and bolt it and don't let any of them in. And this is how some of us deal with the thought of difficulty, the possibility of calamity. We simply ignore it. We pretend it can't happen to us. We just don't think about it. We slam the door, we bolt it shut, and we don't, we don't entertain those thoughts. We just stick our fingers in our ears and we march on. But this is not what we see Habakkuk doing. As Boyce goes on to say, quote, Habakkuk did not slam the door. He opened the door and he cried, come in. Suppose the fig tree does not bud. Suppose there are no cattle in the stall. He's entertaining this possibility and yet saying, yet I will rejoice. If we are going to be ready when the day of darkness comes to us, we must acknowledge the possibility of it coming to us and prepare our hearts in advance. It's unhelpful to simply ignore it and pretend it could never happen. If we decide instead to put our head in the sands, it's going to make that day a lot more difficult when it arrives. And trial does come. Habakkuk knew this. He knew difficulty was coming. The Babylonians were invading and he acknowledged the possibility of no food. He acknowledged it. And as we mentioned last week, um, Habakkuk was, was not... You know, his rejoicing, he's not simply putting on a smile and pretending everything's okay and pretending there's actually nothing wrong when there is something wrong. That's not what it means to rejoice in God, even in the midst of trials. Just say it's no big deal. That's not, that's not what's happening here. It is a big deal. This is a very bad thing that's happening. He's acknowledging it, and it could get worse for him. We don't know. We simply don't know what the future holds. I don't say that to try to just make us all afraid and, and live in fear, but perhaps to shake us out of some false security, perhaps. And, and when that day of difficulty comes upon us, as it did for Habakkuk, we're to call it what it is. It's a trial. It's darkness. It's difficult. He declared this was something that caused him to tremble. He was afraid. And it's unhelpful for us then to pretend Christians don't suffer or struggle or like it's not a big deal. And it's unhelpful for us to pretend it's not a possibility for us. So... I know that some of you, some, some of you are, are more prone to worry. And so to, to, it's, it might be easier for you to say, I'm just not going to entertain the possibility that anything bad might happen. And that might seem like the easier thing to do. Just stuff it down, fill my mind with other things. I'm just not even going to go there. Um, 
And, 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 and I'm, what I want us to do is to realize that it's possible bad things can happen to us and that darkness comes and trials come because it does. And, and hopefully, as we'll see, not, not for the purpose of dwelling on it. Some of us, we worry and we just, we start to, if we start to entertain this possibility, we just, we think about it, we can't think of anything else and we just spiral down and it's no good. Uh, that's not the end of where we want to go. Uh, which we'll see here in a moment as we keep going through Habakkuk. Uh, But it is important that we don't just pretend and ignore, you know, ignore the possibility and pretend as though trial's never going to come. The reality is cancer may come. Jobs can be lost. Our country could collapse. Death may visit your family. We need not, should not, pretend otherwise. And and we shouldn't pretend that these are small matters. Number two, rejoice in God when darkness falls by seeking your joy in God himself, not merely in his gifts. Seeking your joy in God himself, not merely in his gifts. So let's read verse 18. So though the fig tree doesn't blossom, though all this bad stuff comes, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Notice where Habakkuk's joy is found. He's placing his joy in God himself, rejoicing in the Lord, taking joy in the God of my salvation. Notice, not even he's not just taking joy in his salvation, but in the God who provides that salvation. His joy is in God himself. In verses 3 to uh, 15 of chapter 3, which we looked at last week, he has already, Habakkuk has already rehearsed the saving power of the Lord. This God who miraculously brought Israel out of Egypt is the God of of Habakkuk's salvation, the God that he is rejoicing in, even in this difficulty. Notice also, Habakkuk is not merely resigning himself to a life of misery at the news he has received. It's not some fatalistic understanding, well, God's sovereign, this is going to go bad. Well, I guess I just sit here and I'm fine. You know, that's not his attitude. He's getting, he's moving past that even. Yes, it's painful, but he's even moving past that to where he's declaring he's going to rejoice in the Lord. He's going to take joy in the God of his salvation, despite the difficulties, even in the midst of the difficulties, with no guarantee that this gets easier or better for him. There's a common tendency to use God for what he gives, for the blessings he gives and the things that he he provides. And so, as long as he gives those things that we want, that we feel we need, um, then we feel we are able to praise him. He's providing for me what I want. Yes, I'll praise him back. And it's it's a humanistic man-centered corruption whereby we think whether we consciously think it or not we act as though God exists for our pleasure he's there ultimately for me 
Uh, he is to exercise, give blessings. He's there to provide what I want. That's some, sometimes how we, we think. He's there for our pleasure, for our glory. And then when those gifts, those things that we like, that he's provided us with, uh, are stripped from us, it often results in anger at God. How, how dare you take that from me? I don't ask for much. I'm not asking for millions of dollars. I just ask for a little bit. How dare you take that from me? And we get this anger towards God. So often it results in anger. Sometimes, as Jesus described with the rocky ground here in Matthew 13, the person just abandons the faith altogether. Trials come, and it proves they, they, they really... The, the, the word of the Lord never really took root in their hearts to begin with. They just abandoned the faith altogether. There's a great example of this in John chapter 6, of, of using God, using the Lord Jesus even. Jesus, Jesus had just fed the 5,000 in John chapter 6. You remember that story? A few fish, loaves of bread, and he feeds thousands of people. And now, the next day, he's on the other side of the lake. And the people come looking for him. They come searching for him. They're all searching all over for him. They're making all this effort. And finally, they, they, they find him. And we might think of this as a good, you know, we think, we, we see this and we think, wow, these people are going through all this effort to go find him. Uh, momentum's building. It's a large crowd. They want Jesus. They want to make him king. This is a great thing we might think. But Jesus says to them in verse 26, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. The large crowd wanted to make Jesus king because of how useful he'd be to them. Just imagine a king who can turn a few loaves of bread into many loaves of bread and feed thousands of people. How useful is this king? How good would it be to have this king? Habakkuk's problem, no fruit on the vines, no food in the field, no problem with this king. Let's, let's get this king. We want him. He can give us all the things that we want. You are searching for me because you ate your fill of the loaves. They wanted his blessings, but they did not want him. They didn't understand, they didn't care that his miracles were signs that were pointing to who he was, that he was God incarnate right there in front of them, God in the flesh, and that they should understand their need for him and trust him and follow after him, they don't care about that. They simply want the things he might give them. They simply want food, unending food. And so many come to God like that. They come to him for stuff. They want things from him. And that's their reason for coming to him. Now, I want to say, as Christians, it's not wrong to love the blessings that God gives. It's good. We just, heard, we just sang a song for all uh, precious gifts received by gratefulness. Um, that's, it's good, to obviously, to, to be thankful for the blessings that God gives us. That, that, that is good. But our joy should not terminate on those blessings, should not end on those blessings, but should deflect upward to joy in the giver of those blessings. 
in God himself. So do you see the difference there between those two? So another example to try to maybe make this clear. Two people. Uh, person number one has a job that provides his needs, and he's grateful for that. He's grateful for that. He rejoices in that. And the providence of God means God controls everything. That, that job that person has is a, is a blessing from the Lord. And so this person is happy to have this job and is grateful for this job and is very happy about it. A second person also has a job that he really likes and really appreciates, that provides for his needs. And he's really grateful for that job as well. But this person not only rejoices in the provision, the job, but then turns it into praise for the provider. Praising God for his merciful supply. Praising God for the abilities to even do this job. Glorifying God for putting him in the right place at the right time to get this job when, when they were looking to hire somebody. All those things. This person gives God the praise for all of that. So rejoices in the job, but praises God ultimately and finds his joy in God who provided for him. If those two people lose their job, one person has nothing left to rejoice in. The person who just took joy in their job. The job is great, it provides me. That's gone. They've got nothing left. But the man who is using that to take joy in the provider, in God himself, if he loses his job, he still has his God to take joy in. And this is what Habakkuk is modeling for us. Joy in God, not just in the things he gives. One commentator named Richard Patterson says this, Habakkuk exhibited the kind of relationship with God which enjoyed the divine person more than the things he could do for the prophet. So the difference is rejoicing in God himself versus the things that God does or might give. Notice also that Habakkuk doesn't merely rejoice in salvation, but in the God of his salvation. So it's, it's good and it's right for us to not want to be judged by God. Uh, we should not want to receive God's judgment for our sin. We should not want hell. It's, it, that's a right thing. <laughs> but even here, our joy should run up to the Savior, not just the salvation he gives. If all we want is escape from judgment, but have no interest or delight in the Savior then I would submit to you that there's a problem here. Someone who simply wants a get-out-of-hell-free card, but not the God who gives forgiveness, isn't showing signs of true repentance or regeneration. They're taking a John 6 approach to the Lord. Now again, I, I want to be careful with that, because it's, it's right to rejoice in our salvation, it, that's not a bad thing to do. Um, but, but even as we see in Habakkuk here, he's rejoicing in the God who provides it. We love forgiveness of sins, but we are to love the forgiver of sins, God himself. So there's a question then here of how do we do this? How do we get to that point? How do we find joy in God and not in the things he gives us? 
It sounds like a great idea, but how do we get there? Well, here, here are just a few thoughts, and I'm sure there's a lot more that could be said, but a few thoughts. First, I would encourage you to pray for that. Pray that your joy would be in God. We, whenever we're dealing with uh, sin and, our, and where we're finding joy and where our affections are at, we're talking about our hearts. We have heart issues here. And we need God. We need God through His Spirit to sanctify us, to change our hearts, to give us new desires, to continue to shape us and sanctify us and make us more like Christ. So begin with praying. Pray for a change of heart. Secondly, if we're to take joy in God, we should study God. We should study God, which begins with reading, reading His Word. Habakkuk, as we saw last week, earlier in chapter 3, he knew who God was. He understood who God was. He knew God's saving power. He recounts the Exodus through chapter 3 in poetic terms. Uh, he knew the power of God to save his people. Earlier in the book, he talks of the Lord as being of pure eyes. and He, he understood rightly who God was. He, he learned more, uh, certainly, as God revealed more of himself to Habakkuk in, in, in this book. Um, but, but he knew God's character and power. And so we likewise need to be reading his word, learning who he is, studying who he is. So I would plead with you and encourage you to commit to that if you're not already. And even to make a plan, a plan for how you're going to read, so that you're not just sort of drifting in and out, and I don't know where, where it's next. And I, I've had those phases, and it's not helpful. You finish one book or one chapter, and you don't know where you're going next, and you kind of feel lost, and you flip the one, and you, ah, and you put it down and go on. And so make a plan. Make a plan and get after it. This is one way that we can do what David did. David in Psalm 26.3, Your steadfast love is before my eyes. Your steadfast love is before my eyes, and I walk in your faithfulness. He's, he's walking after the Lord, but he's got the Lord's steadfast love before his eyes. And how can we do that? We can study who God is. Study his attributes. Learn about him. So we read the word as we study God, but also I would encourage us to be those who study theology. That's a scary word to some or a bad word to others. But all this is, really, is the study of God. It's who God is. We're learning about who He is. And, and many have written very helpful books that can help us, aid us in our study of who God is. Books on God's attributes. attributes uh, books uh, covering all manner of systematic theology. Who God is. How He works. They can be very helpful as they um, accurately uh, teach us Scripture. And of course, to do that is going to require reading which is not something that's uh, common in our society um, beyond Twitter and uh, social media. It's going to require actual books and, uh, and, 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 and hard work. It's not easy, but it's worth it. And so I would encourage you, start reading. Read theology. We can help you find uh, helpful resources that will help you in this. And just start reading a few pages a week. I mean, that, that's all it takes. It's overwhelming to think of a book from start to finish. But if you just decide 30 pages a week, 30 pages a week, it's going to get you 120 in a month. That, and you, so at the end of a year, you're going to read up maybe four books, maybe six books, depending on the... That's four or six books more than anyone else. And it's, and it's going to be... It's an investment in studying God. So there's my encouragement. Study the Word. Read good books. Another way to, to build our joy in God, be aware 
of potential idols in your life and guard against them. We all have things that we're prone to elevate to places they shouldn't occupy. Things that we are prone to place too much of our joy in. We get too much out of that. We, we want that more than anything else. It could be hobbies. It could be entertainment. It could be people. It could be um, uh, popularity. I don't know. It, it could be all kinds of different things. I don't know what it is for you, but search your heart. Ask your friends. They'll probably know. They might know. Uh, your spouse might be able to help you. And just be aware. Just be on guard. Guard your heart against making idols out of other things, putting your joy in other things, your ultimate joy in other things. Fourthly, come to grips with the fact that God doesn't owe you anything. That's significant. Again, we tend to think God, God owes me certain things. He does not. He does not. He does not owe you health. He does not owe you anything. And we need to come to grips with that. Even the, the verses read earlier from Job, uh, demonstrate that. He, he understood that. And Habakkuk learns that here. And if we can come to, the, come to terms with that, then when difficulty comes, we are going to be less likely to shake our fist at God. When Job says, naked I came into this world, naked I will go, and yet he praises the Lord anyway. Fifthly, think of the ways you are blessed meditate on the fact that God has graciously given those things to you. We don't think of it that way. We think we made our resume. We went out and, you know, hit the pavement hard and, and found a job. And I worked hard to do this. And I earned it. And they hired me because I have all this experience and skill. And I did this. That's, we tend to think that way. And it's not true. It might be true that you worked hard. But God, in his providence, controls all things. And the food that you're able to buy at the grocery store is with money that he has provided for you. When you take a bite of the food we're going to eat later, God has provided that for you. And so if we think of that and realize that, that he has given those things to you, it builds thankfulness. Sixthly, commit to organizing your schedule around church and fellowship with other believers. This will help you. This will help us to take joy in the Lord. Seven, consider the grace shown to you at the cross of Christ. Consider your salvation and turn it into thanksgiving and praise for your Savior, the one who gives that salvation. Finally, one other thing. Um, if you're struggling with particular sin, find help for it. Find help for it. Confess that to your brother, your sister, and get help for it. Nothing sucks joy away from taking joy in the Lord, like sin, like sinning. And that feeling of just stuck in it, stuck in a sin, there are people here who will help you. The word of the Lord is powerful. His spirit resides in his people. Victory is there, though it might be a long, hard road. Don't just wallow in it and say, I guess I'm just stuck living in defeat my whole life. It's not true. It's not true. Get help with your sins you're struggling with, especially if there's something that's just continually keeping you back. If we are seeking to do these things now, to place our joy in God now, it's going to be immensely helpful when the darkness falls, when difficulty comes. While God may remove certain blessings and give certain trials, He never removes Himself from us. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. So place your joy in Him. 
Cling to Him now and when trials come. Thirdly, rejoice in God when darkness falls by trusting God for strength to stand. Read verse 19 with me. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places to the choir master with stringed instruments. Habakkuk declares here that his strength is in God. God makes his feet sure like a deer that he might tread on, that he might stand firmly on high places. Habakkuk uses imagery here from, it's, it's used in a number of places throughout the, the Bible, but most clearly Psalm 18.33 is what I think he's appealing to here. He's using the same imagery as David used when David was recounting his victories over his enemies, which the Lord has given him. He says in verse 33, He made my feet like the feet of a deer, and set me secure on the heights. That's, that's, what, that's what Habakkuk's got in mind. So the picture is of a sure-footed deer able to stand on the mountaintop. Not stumbling, not falling, standing. And so it symbolizes the victory that the Lord's people may expect. As they ascend to the heights of victory despite their many setbacks. As one commentator says it. That's what this symbolizes. Victory despite the many difficulties and trials. Habakkuk is confident that God will give him strength to stand. Just as the Lord delivered David, so too Habakkuk was confident that he'd remain true to God in worshiping him even in the midst of the coming trials. As God did for David, so he would do for Habakkuk. Habakkuk is confident he will stand victorious in faith because he's confident in God to bring it about. Even as things are falling apart, God is his strength. He's confident because God is the one who will bring him victory. Sometimes we might wonder, I sometimes wonder this, you might too, uh, how we would respond if we got news that we had cancer or some other illness. Or someone we loved got that. Sometimes we might wonder how we would respond if a very severe bout of persecution suddenly arose. How would I handle that? How would I respond? Or fill in the blank with any other form of calamity. We might wonder how would I handle that? How would I respond? Well, our confidence that we would respond well and in faith is not some sort of tough guy thing. It's not some machismo, you know, well, I know I'll be tough and strong because that's who I am. We Armstrongs, we don't lay down for anybody. We, we stand tall. We stand strong. And, we, you know, that's not what, that's not a biblical way of standing strong. That's not where Habakkuk's strength is coming from. As we think of how we might respond, that kind of bravado is a, is, is arrogance is what it is. At the same time, as we think of how we might respond, we shouldn't live in fear that we would never be able to handle it. That's another reaction, maybe a more likely one for us. I don't know. I don't know. I, that's a terrifying thought. I'm not sure what I would do in that moment. Our hope is that God is our strength. Our hope is that God 
gives His people the strength they need in the moment. And that He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. So your hope as you wonder now how you would respond when difficulty comes, your hope is that God will give you the strength to stand in that day, that He will be faithful to you. And that even though now I tremble at the thought, I'm confident He will see me through. That's my hope. That's my only hope right now. That by His grace and His strength, we will stand. We don't need to feel really, really strong today for the battle of tomorrow or the battle of a month or the battle we don't even know is coming that may or may not ever come. If you don't feel strong for that today, that's okay. Rather, we we need to trust that while all hell might break loose at some point against us, that while all the bad possibilities or all the bad supposings may come upon us, Our hope is that God will faithfully carry us through that storm. That what he did for David in helping David prevail and stand strong, that what he would do for Habakkuk as everything collapsed around him, that he would stand firm in his faith, that the God who did this for these men will do this for you as well. The God who saves is the God who keeps and preserves his people. He does not abandon His children. If you have come to Him in repentance and faith, if you're trusting in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, the one who shed His blood for sinners and rose again from the grave, if this is your hope and your trust, you are God's child. And you have reason for confidence in Him. Ultimately, our hope is that He is in control And that He will see us through and carry us through. We strive, certainly, to put our hope in Him. But He is our strength. We need Him, at the end of the day, to see us through and carry us through. So even as we acknowledge that dark trials await us in some form, we must seek to put our joy in God while trusting that He will strengthen us through whatever comes. And if you're in that trial now, you're in that darkness, even this moment, trust that He will see you through. You might not even see how in this moment. But the fact that you're still here, the fact that you still believe, the fact that you're still fighting, that you got up again and are battling it yet again, is evidence He is sustaining you. He has given you strength and He will continue to because that's who He is and that's what He does. Even if difficulty remains, He will sustain you. This is who He is. This is why we need to know who He is, to remember He has been faithful to His people throughout time. And we just have to trust that, even when it's difficult to see. And make no mistake, it was difficult for Habakkuk to see. 16 reminds us of that. He trembles, he quakes, it's rottenness in his bones. Yet, yet, he knows the Lord is faithful. And he's confident he will rejoice and that God will be his strength. And so may we be those who get to that place where we can say, even if everything falls apart, 
The Lord is good, and I will rejoice in him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. And God, we give you thanks that you are indeed the God who keeps and preserves your people. God, I pray that you would help us to find our joy in you. God, forgive us for all the other things where we are tempted to make idols out of them or have our joy terminate on these things. And forgive us for when we don't allow those, allow those things to lead us to praise and thanksgiving and joy in you, the giver of the gift. So God, may we enjoy things rightly. May we enjoy the wonderful gifts you've given, the salvation that you provide, the food that you provide on our tables, the friendships you provide, the family, and so on. May we enjoy those things, but may all of those things cause us to give thanks to you and to find joy in you, that we might know you are the one who gives those good things to us in your kindness and in your grace. And God, may we be those that when you make us to walk through dark trials, that when you take away certain pleasures of ours and things that we enjoy, may we be those who still cling to you and not be those who shake angry fists at you, but who trust you and trust that you're good even when it's difficult to see. And may we be those who rejoice in you even if there are no figs on the tree, even if there are no animals in the stall. Lord, we need your help. We need you to be our strength and we're grateful that you are. Lord, sustain us in all things. For every person here and those that are not here, but who are in dark times now, God, we ask you for grace. Sustain them through it. And even in the midst of the darkness, give them the ability and the strength to worship you even now. To say that even if things remain difficult forever, I will praise you. God, we, we truly need you to work that in us because that is not something that's natural for us. So would you work that in our hearts and truly, Lord, give us joy in you. Thank you so much for all of your provisions for us and for being good. We give you praise and thanks in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.